The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church Age Study Guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC8. This is Secret Church 8, Episode 8. All right, this, this last part, we're going to fly through New Testament, then conclusions, applications, and take down the prosperity gospel. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're getting into 2 Corinthians now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, um, verse 3 through 10, talks about, Paul, Paul talks about his poverty, offering the gospel free of charge. Some of the same things we saw in 1 Corinthians. Um, but 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is really where I want us to focus. So the key verse being 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And really all this is based on 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, and then 9, 6 through 15, mainly. But the, the context here is Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to give to this offering for the church in Jerusalem. And he uses the Macedonians, a poor church, and how they had given as an example. And says, this, this poor church gave a lot out of their poverty. You have wealth to give. And so what we see, Scripture teaches, we give out, an abun- out of an abundance of grace. We give willingly. This is grace-driven giving. We give willingly based on God's blessing, at least according to our ability. We give willingly, we give generously. Rich generosity, Paul talks about in chapter 8, verse 2. Generous giving to God. This is a great principle in chapter 9. Generous giving to God results in greater giving from God. As we give, God gives more. But not for ourselves. God gives to us so that we might give away. God gives enough for us. This is chapter 9, verse 9 and 10 and 11. God gives enough for us. He meets our needs and he gives excess for others. He gives to us in a way that is intended to flow to others. We are not hoarders of blessing, but channels of blessing. He gives enough for us. He meets our needs. He gives excess for others. We give generously. We give cheerfully. Chapter 9, verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. Literally means hilariously, like, ha, 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 we're giving. Um, we give cheerfully. We're not forced by God to give. Not coercion, he says. We are freed by God to give. Freed by God to give. And we give as a demonstration of the gospel. That's the whole point of 2 Corinthians 8, 9, is that Christ has done this for us. We demonstrate what Christ has done for us in the way we give. We sacrifice our rights for others just as he sacrificed his rights for us. He became poor so he might become rich. We spend our resources on others just as he spent his resources on us. He has given us his riches. So we give others. We spend our resources on others. And then we give to promote thanksgiving to God. Our giving promotes great thankfulness. 9.12 says, giving unites the people of God. The, the picture of the unity, unity and giving this offering to the, for the church in Jerusalem is creating unity within, between these churches. Giving unites the people of God. We give regularly to the church. And so th- this is a picture. We see there's a weekly offering in 1 Corinthians 16 that we had seen. And the church deals responsibly with our gift. And that's really an allusion there to, uh, or a reference there to 2 Corinthians 8, 20 and 21 where we see the integrity with which the gift was being handled by Paul. And then giving exalts the goodness of God. 
Paul closes out and he says, you're giving overflow, overflows in praise and thanksgiving to God. That right there is one of the most pivotal, ex- important, significant texts on giving that flows from grace in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Romans, just miscellaneous things in Romans. We give generously inside the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Talks about giving to one another in the community of faith. We give selflessly outside the body of Christ. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That's Romans 12. Then in 13, he says, we give willingly to the government. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And he basically talks about how we give to the government. Paying taxes is a part of the Christian's task of submission to God ultimately. Somewhat like we had, similar to what we've seen in, in what Christ had said. We give willingly to the government. We are cautious with debt. Romans 13, 8, owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Most commentators don't believe that's an absolute forbiddance of any debt, though guys like Hudson Taylor, Charles Spurgeon both believe this verse prohibited debt altogether, never do debt. At, at the very least, we should normally avoid debt. At the very least. And at the very least, we should quickly pay off debt if we haven't. Romans 13, verse 8. And then when you get to Romans chapter 15, Paul talks with the church at Rome about this contribution he's been taking up for the church in Jerusalem. And he says, collection of money by the church was a picture of unity in the church. I love this verse, Romans 15, where it says, um, where is it? The contribution. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. That word contribution is, in the original language, it's koinonia. It's community. And the picture is, by, by, by the churches coming up together with a collection and making a contribution to the church in Jerusalem, they are saying, we're in community with you. Their contribution is showing a unity in the church. We're with you on this. Collection of money down the church was a picture of unity in the church. That leads us on to Philemon. Not a ton in Philemon. whole book is about Philemon's slave, Onesimus, who ran away, then came to Christ uh, by, after he met Paul, and then Paul sending him back to Philemon. Uh, Colossians, not a ton about possessions specifically in Colossians, although there is this Warning against covetousness in Colossians 3, 5. Covetousness is idolatry. Strong. Worshiping things over God. Money is either an idol or a tool. It's one or the other. It's either an idol or a tool. A little bit about possessions in Ephesians. Do honest work with your own hands so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. There's three ways to approach things. Number one, we can steal to get things, not recommended. Number two, we can work to get things, most common. Three, which is rare and which is what Scripture tells us to do, we can work to get things to give things. Work to get things in order to give things. Too many Christians are living on level two. We need to live on level three there. We don't just work to get things. We work to get things to give things. Ephesians 5.5, 5, again, what we had seen in Colossians, Colossians, to be covetous is to be idolatrous. No, everyone who is sexually immoral and impure, who is covetous, has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ. To be greedy is to miss the kingdom. To be greedy is to miss the kingdom. Philippians ends, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 19, this I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment is found in Christ alone, regardless of possessions. This is what Paul's saying. In times of want, we must learn patience and trust. In times of wealth, 
We must learn humility and dependence. Regardless of want or wealth, Christ is sufficient. And then you get to the end, very last verses in Philippians 4, and you see this finances in the, in the context of praise to God. Giving in the church brings glory to Christ. When you come to the pastoral epistles, the most we'll see is really in 1 Timothy here. But on a whole, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10 talks about um, women adorning them, not adorning themselves, adorning themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Apparel and worship should be modest, not costly. An attitude in worship should be humble, not drawing attention to oneself. Then you get to 1 Timothy 3, and you see elders and deacons and the qualifications there. Leaders in the church should honor God with their money. That's a qualification for leadership in the church. They should honor God with their money. Titus 1 says the same thing. For 2 Timothy 2 is warning about, warning about, uh, those who are lovers of money. Then in 1 Timothy 5, Paul begins to talk about the care of widows and says, first, a widow should be provided for by her family. It's primarily the responsibility of, of her family. But then he says a widow should be provided for by her church if family's not able to do that or if family's not there to do that. A widow should be provided by her, for by her church. But he takes a step deeper later on in the chapter and he says the church should reflect the grace of Christ to the widow should, by giving to her, but... He says the church should reflect, the, the widow should reflect the goodness of Christ in the church. So let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If the widow is not following after Christ, then that changes the whole picture here in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Then you get to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is a, a poignant passage, kind of like a 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 passage, very important. Where Paul, let's pick up in the middle of this passage. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. So here's the deal. The path to great gain. I love this gain. There's great gain. Be content with having necessities. Godliness with contentment, Paul says, is great gain. You say, well, what's contentment? We'll have food and clothing or covering, some translations say. The picture is necessities. Then, second, be caution, cautious with acquiring excess. Whenever you start to pursue more and run after more, be cautious. You're going to take nothing with you. We well, brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. No U-Hauls behind hearses. You will take none of it with you, and it will take contentment from you. The more you accumulate, the more you seek after pleasure in your excess things. And the more you dull, the more we fill our lives with stuff, the more we dull our sense of contentment in God. So stay away from excess, Paul says. You will miss God's purpose for you. Your excess is not intended for you to have more stuff. It's intended for you to accomplish the purpose of God. Path to total ruin, Paul says, is love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil, the love of money and desire for riches. People who want 
to get rich fall into temptation and a trap that leads them to plunge into destruction and ruin. That's serious stuff. Desire for riches leads to a life of self-destruction and a life of self-mutilation. That's just the desire to be rich. What about when you are rich? This is dangerous. And then the plan for rich people, when you look at the rest of the chapter, verses 17 through 20, Paul tells them to flee self-confidence. Don't trust in your riches. Don't be prideful and haughty. Flee self-centeredness. Don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. You start to love your things instead of loving God. Instead, put your hope in God. He gives good things for your enjoyment. Key verse, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. For, sorry, chapter 6, sorry, verse 17. God gives us every good thing to enjoy. God gives us good things for our enjoyment. But as you enjoyment, also use those good things for others' enjoyment. He then says, be rich in good deeds, generous, be willing to share. Invest good things in yours and others' eternity. So that's the picture in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Miscellaneous letters in the New Testament. Hebrews and Hebrews 10, joy supersedes property. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. It's a great verse. Contentment, Hebrews 13. Contentment supersedes possessions. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a great verse, Hebrews 13, 5. First Peter, Peter, like Paul, says women should be modest. Women should be modest. Don't go buy all this expensive stuff and wear it in the community of faith, Peter's saying. No. Elders should be honest with the way they use their money. And then in Second Peter, Peter's addressing false teachers in Second Peter, and he talks about how greed is associated with dishonesty. Greed is associated with dishonesty. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Greed is associated with dishonesty, and greed is associated with adultery. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. There's danger there in greed. Jude, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Coram's rebellion. Beware leaders who are greedy for financial gain. And then you get to John. First John, first John 2, 15 through 17, beware lust for pleasure and pride in possessions. Beware lust for pleasure and pride in your possessions. First John 3, 16 through 18, reiterates what we've already seen in James 2. That if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? God's love compels action on behalf of brothers in need. Action. If we don't act when we see brothers in need, then we don't know the love of God. 3 John 3, 5 through 8 talks about supportive hospitality. What John's doing is he's commending Gaius for hosting Christians and supporting them. Recognize this supportive hospitality. And remember this simple blessing because we're going to come back to it when we talk about prosperity theology. Third John 2, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and you may be good at health as it goes well with your soul. Other thing from John, Revelation. And I want to show you just three main things in Revelation, two churches and then the end of the book. The lesson of Smyrna and the seven letters to the churches. We see Smyrna and Laodicea in particular when it comes to possessions. Smyrna, it is possible to be material, materially poor yet spiritually rich. 
They were impoverished. But they were, they were trusting in God. And God had, Christ had commendation for them. On the other hand, lesson of Laodicea, it's possible to be materially rich, yet spiritually poor. And so Jesus says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Then you get to the very end of the book. Revelation 18 and 19 talks about what we have is the profile of materialistic Babylon. I would encourage you to go back and read Revelation 18. It'll, it will make you see just in graphic imagery the danger and the destiny of materialism. Because the whole picture is Babylon, picturing the Roman Empire, picturing deeper things than that also, known for idolatrous religion and filled with excessive luxury. Excessive luxury. It's, it's, it's the power of the world and the pleasure of the world all together, characterized by indulgent immorality. And so the plea to God's people in the middle of that, a voice from heaven that pleads with God's people, flee materialism. Run, come out of her, my people. Don't take part in her sins. God abhors this. Flee it. And the picture of God's judgment that rains down Riches are ripped away in Revelation 18, 19 through 18. Riches whipped, ripped away and wealth laid waste. Everything in the, the rich and splendid vanishes, never to be recovered. It's the obliteration of materialism. And you might expect heaven to mourn at that, but no, heaven rejoices when materialism is struck down, the pleasure of God's people, and we see that joy is found not in wealth. Particularly eternal joy, not found in wealth. Joy eternal is found in worship. And I didn't include the, the verses there, but this is when you get to Revelation 21. Remember where we started this whole picture? God and creation and material world all in harmony. In the end, Revelation chapter 21, new heaven, new earth all in harmony together. Revelation chapter 22, river, the tree, the water of life, no more curse. It, it's come around and, and eternity is good material things. Harmony between material things, man and God. So that's the picture where we end in Revelation. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.